Today's guest is none other than Coach Brock Heim, a UA Little Rock alumni and the now head distance coach with an inspiring 100-mile race that we're going to break down on this episode. Well, Coach, I know you deal with college kids on a daily basis, so I appreciate your time today. And don't know about you, but I'm very excited to break down this 100-mile race. Yeah, definitely. And I, um, I, I don't know if I'm your first episode or, or going to be, but I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to get to talk to you about it. And um, yeah, man, let's get after it. Yes, sir. So we're going to start off with the quote of the day. This one is from Killian Jornet. Uh, it's pretty cool. And that goes, to train for an ultra, you need to go for a run when it's raining, windy, and snowing. When lightning sets trees on fire as you pass them, when snowflakes or hailstones strike your body in the storm and make you weep. That's pretty inspirational, I would say. Um, we, we were talking the other day, and I kind of said, uh, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad equipment and a bad mental attitude. Yeah. So. So I, uh, it, it's funny you mentioned Killian because whenever I was getting out of collegiate athletics and going into ultra running, you know, him and Anton Karpichka, um, you know, th those were two guys that I don't know if I necessarily looked up to them because it wasn't like they were a lot older than me. But um, as I was getting into the ultra world, I figured out that those were two guys that were extremely tough and Killian's about as good as they've ever been, you know, and, and definitely was at the peak of his career. But, um, you know, that quote really lines up, Andrew, with uh, kind of how I coach our team. You know, I mean, I'm 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 a big believer uh, that that if you want to be if you really want to be tough and be pressed and um, kind of gain some I don't know attributes that that you can't get anywhere else, man, you got to train in the worst conditions, and that's something I tell. Uh, I've I've actually got a buddy who's training for the Arkansas Traveler this year. And, uh, and, and I've told him, man, whenever I was training, I always picked the hilliest route. I picked the worst weather each day that I could find. And, um, yeah, that's a really good quote and very true. That's awesome. Yeah. I've watched a lot of videos on those guys and I definitely agree with having your training conditions be as tough as they can be because once the race day comes around, it'll be that much easier um and you'll be that much more used to it so speaking of the race we can go ahead and and jump into the arkansas traveler 100 miler uh, i'll start off with some background information it is 100 miles and has a thousand feet or eleven thousand feet of vert in the wachita mountains of arkansas it's a western states qualifier and one of the oldest 100 milers around uh this year will be the 32nd year and let's let's take a trip back to 2013 about 10 and a half years ago why did you choose to run this race so i was uh working at a running store i was working at rock city running at the time i actually helped bill tory um who is the owner i helped him helped him open his store and um alongside many other people and a lot of these people were in the ultra world and they were, they're, they're, they're older. Uh, they're not elderly, but they're older. And, and they had ran a bunch of ultras and, 
you know, I, I just joked in the store and I said, look, man, I could kick y'all's butt in a, in a hundred miler. And they said, well, hell, you couldn't even finish it, Brock. I said, I said, okay, bet. I said, uh, yeah. So I just told Bill, the owner, I said, uh, let's make a bet. Um, and, and I told him not only would I finish it, but I would win it. And so that's how it came about because all these people had ran or completed, uh, the Arkansas traveler. Um, and so I decided I was going to up the ante and, and not just finish it, but win. And that's kind of what happened. That's awesome. And when you made that decision, you were a senior in college, correct? That is correct. So I had back surgery, I believe it was my sophomore year of college. Um, I think that's right. Might have been junior year of college. I had back surgery, went through rehab and everything, competed in cross uh, after my after my back surgery, did really well, earned all Sun Belt was part of the last team to win a championship in cross country here at at Arkansas Little Rock. Um, And then I went through track season and honestly just struggled. Like my back was just giving me a lot of issues. And anytime I was on soft surface, I was fine. Um, And so my senior year, I did not compete. I was a part of the team, but I didn't compete. And that's how I started getting into ultra stuff. Gotcha. And so you make that decision where do you start with training? What did your training look like? Um, yeah, what was your structure there? Yeah, so uh, it was uh, April of 2013 whenever I decided I was going to do this this Arkansas Traveler. And, um, man, I just started running a lot. And I got really lucky uh, because I lived here in Little Rock, and a lot of ultra runners live in this area, uh, really, really good ones. I mean – uh, uh, Podog Vogler, who's won the Arkansas Traveler, hell, I don't know how many times, probably over five times. Um, I got with him, um, uh, PT, um, I got with Stan Ferguson, I mean, Thomas Chapin. These are guys that in, in, in ultra running are very well known in this area. And, um, and so I just got with these guys and, and started running with them on the weekends and they, they kind of taught me the ropes. And so they would, you know, basically kind of they, – they weren't coaching me, but in a way they were. And I just started figuring out what worked well for me. So training was not – I was not a, a genius about it. I didn't make it overly difficult. Man, all I did, Andrew, was I would, I would run six days a week. And uh, four days a week I would run for 90 minutes to two hours. Um, some days I would tempo, some days I'd run slow, just depending on how I feel. Mm-hmm. But the big thing for me was, um, and this is what I got from those guys who were, who were very knowledgeable. I did a double long run every weekend. And so Saturdays I would do about 25 miles, uh, pretty hard. So I'd go, you know, sub seven minute pace. Uh, and I always ran it on single track trail. And then on Sundays I would do my long, slow run. And I would do that out at the Arkansas traveler course, actually. Nice. And I would just do about 30 to 35 miles. But I always made sure that that run was at race pace, which was much slower. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking 10, 11 minute pace. And that's what I did. And then, um, not to be too long winded on the training aspect, but something I added in that a lot of people don't do was I would do depletion runs where I wouldn't eat for 24 hours before the run. 
And then I would go do a two hour, two and a half, three hour run with only, with only water. And wow. so it really taught, really taught your body how to, how to use limited resources um, and become a lot more efficient. And so that's kind of how I did the training, you know, and um, again, didn't overcomplicate it. I just made sure I had a lot of time on feet, you know? Yeah. That's, that's pretty awesome and pretty invaluable that you had that training group with that expertise and oh, yeah, man. those depletion runs sound pretty brutal, but I'm sure they paid dividends when you were in the actual race and waiting for the next aid station. So that's pretty sweet. Well, and, and it kind of goes back to as well, Andrew, what you said that, that quote from Killian and, and also how I coach you guys is put yourself in tough situations and choose to make the right decision. You know I mean? I can't tell you how many times you'd be on these depletion runs 90 minutes in, you're already getting maybe a little bit of cramp or uh, you just feel drained, depleted, tired, fatigued. And you have to make that decision of keep moving forward. Right. Mm -hmm. And I always reminded myself, if you can't run three hours hungry. Uh, you can't complete a hundred miles. It's just not going to happen. And so um, I, I, I became creative with putting myself in tough situations and training for sure. That's awesome. What was your most impressive session? My most impressive? Honestly, I think my best race I've ever had, and it was, this was after high school and college competition. So, um, kind of sad maybe, but my best race ever, which was a build up training session for the Arkansas traveler was a 50 K in Memphis. Um, I set the I set the record. Um, I think it was what was the name of the park? I'd have to look it up. Anyways, um, it's online, but it was a 50k. I did a 10 mile warm up. I did a 50k all on single track trail. I came through the marathon in about two. It was like 256, 257. It was just a hair under three hours, oh. and then ended up finishing the 50k right at three hours and 40 minutes and my last five miles were extremely slow i was cramping so bad Jeez. but i wanted to haul ass on that race and for me that was a very impressive run and then i did a uh 10 mile cool down so i ended up getting 50 you know just over 50 miles in for the day um that's probably my my most impressive you know, I would consider that a training session just because it was a buildup, but it was all on single track trail. And so I was rocking, um, you know, mid, mid high six minute miles. Um, so it was very hard, but very, uh, it really set me up for that hundred miler. Well, cause I was able to run so much slower, you know? Right. That, that's definitely legit. So now that we've covered some of the, the training aspects Let's fast forward and let's put yourself on the starting line. It's 6 a.m., October 5th, 2013. What's going through your mind? Did you feel prepared standing there? Oh, man, I felt super prepared and I was terrified. You know, everybody told me, um, take out slow. In fact, on my bib, um, I know you're not going to use this video, so I won't even get it down, but in my office here, I've got I've got a bit my my race bib, and on the bib, uh, the race director wrote on my bib only finishing is winning because 
I told everybody leading up. In fact, there were, there was a, a an Arkansas magazine that interviewed me about the Ar- Arkansas Traveler beforehand, and I told them in the magazine, "Hey, I'm I'm winning this thing." So everybody knew, um, you know, you know what what my goal was, and man, I felt prepared but but scared, you know, right. to be honest with you. Um, but I had written every aid station in permanent marker on my forearm. Um, and so I knew what every aid station mile marker was. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I felt good, you know, and, um, I, I, I remember, and this was new to me. I'd never experienced this at a race, but the, but the race director, <laughs> um, started at 10, <clears throat> at 10 and counted down because how, how ultras work is they don't, you know, they start the ultra at a specific time because everything's about hours and minutes and whatnot. Right. And so, you know, at five fifty nine, um, uh, 50, you know, they start counting down from 10. Oh. And I remember standing there just going, Hey, here we go. This thing's about to go and you're about to be running all day. Right. You know? So it was, it was, uh, I definitely felt prepared. Awesome. And you would say people definitely knew who you were, what you were trying to do. Were you aware of the competition and the name Wesley Hunt? I wasn't. Uh, I knew I knew everybody but him, wow. you know. And I, um, I mean, obviously, I met new people there the day, you know, the day before at weigh in and everything, and then the morning of. But uh, what was cool was. I didn't know who the hell Wesley Hunt was and he didn't know who I was necessarily because we had never ran a hundred miler. Wow. Uh, it was first, it, you know, his first hundred miler as well. And so, um, not, not to jump ahead, but for, for, for the race to come down to me and him and for it to be the, the difference that it was, was really, really cool. I definitely knew what, you know, who he was afterwards and what he's done since then has been amazing. Right, man. That is, that is special. Just, reading the article which we're gonna break down how this race went here that's pretty sweet you guys didn't know each other and that adds to that competitive factor there that's that's pretty definitely definitely yeah i guess take us through the start uh maybe the first first 30 or miles 30 miles or so here yeah so you know i you know like i told you i was i was pretty scared. Um, and, and, and everybody told me and the race director wrote, you know, finishing is winning. So I took out very slow. I mean, I was, I was in 16th, 17th, 18th place, um, coming through the first aid station. And I knew most people that were working different aid stations, at least I'd know one person. And so I'd ask them, Hey, how far back am I? You know? And, mm-hmm. and so we, you know, we take out and the first 16 miles, um, or so are on single track trail, which is mostly what I trained on. Um, you know, I, I spent most of my time training in Burns park on all those trails. And so I was used to that, but I was just clipping along and I, and I kept it really slow and I knew I had, you know, a hundred miles to, to, to win this thing. And, and at the end of the day, um, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little later, I'm sure. But, um, at the end of the day, you just got to be in a position um, to cross the line first. So I, I was making sure going through the early on aid stations that I just wasn't falling back too far, you know? Um, and, and so, and that was kind of the competitive side of me. 
But, um, yeah, those first 30 miles, give or take, I was just going through aid stations, um, passing people. You know, I remember running with one guy from Colorado uh, early on whenever we were still on single track, and we just – honestly, we talked. I mean, we just talked for a while because you're running 10-minute pace, right. you know, 11-minute. I mean, it, it's very, very slow running. And so, um, for me, it was – you know, I was just trying to pass time. That Those first 30 miles, you're trying not to think too much about it. Right. Yeah, you can definitely lose the race in the first quarter of a race, but you definitely can't win it, so – that's that's pretty cool. And so at the 29-mile mark, Wesley Hunt arrived first at the Rocky Gap aid station in four hours and 37 minutes. And at that point, you were about two minutes behind. So we're about 30% through, and you're two minutes behind. Um, but then something changed around the 35-mile mark, and that's when you passed Hunt, who was in the lead. Is that correct? Yeah, and some of this, you know, I, to be honest with you, like you said, it's been, it's been, uh, what, almost, almost 11 years. And so some of this I've, I've kind of slipped, but yeah. yeah, I remember coming through, you know, after, after we got off the single track, um, which is about 16, 17 miles in, I, I, I knew that I was starting to reel the front end people in, um, and I do remember at, at Rocky Gap asking how far back from from the lead am I? And I didn't know who Wesley was. I, I didn't know that was his name at the time. And they said, you know, you're 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 two, three, four minutes back. And that's about, if my mind is right, I'm trying to think. because um, there's a big aid station at like mile forty. Well, we'll get there in a little bit. Yes. I do remember coming through there. And uh, being told I was a few minutes back from the lead, I think by Harold Hayes. I think he was the guy who told me that. And um, and from there, I knew it was going to be, you know, it was it was going to be a, a, a race because my intention was never to run off and and leave the field. In fact, I I didn't want to do that. So, right. um, yeah. Sweet. And from that same article, it says here, around the halfway point, mile forty eight. You had a seven-minute lead, and that was around eight hours into the race. Um, did you yes. Know, did you know you had that seven-minute lead? Yes. I okay. knew that I was gapping them pretty quick because um, – and and this is kind of where it gets funny. So you go to, to 48, and um, after that, from there – and I don't want to jump ahead of you um, – well, I'm going to let you lead these questions, Andrew, because you may have some good questions on this coming up, maybe or maybe not. But, um, yes, I remember coming through that because that's a big aid station. I mean, that's, there's a lot of people at that aid station. And that's also a weigh-in station. So you have to stop, step on a scale. Um, uh, but after that aid station, it gets hairy. So I'm going to see where you go with this. Yeah. So at that point, Wesley was behind you by 15 minutes at one point. Um, but from the article, there's a quote where you say, he's running all the effing hills. So you you know he's coming, and um, he eventually passes you since he's working on those hills. And, yeah, what do you remember about being passed by that guy? <laughs> I remember 
I remember seeing this article come out and it had a quote from me and I, and I, I was like, ah, that's not a great quote. I hope my parents don't see it. But so we get past mile 48 and we're headed to the turnaround point, which I believe is like 56 or somewhere in that ballpark is, is the turnaround point. So you're basically the Arkansas traveler, you go 56 miles out. And then how they get a lot of that mileage back is you don't go back on single track trail towards the end. You're on some different roads and stuff. So um, we get out to the turnaround point and it was the only time I stopped to, to, to use the restroom. Um, and I'm glad that I did because I got warned by the race director that they were going to sit me um, if I didn't use the restroom. Dang. So thankfully, um, you know, cause they start worrying about your kidney functions and stuff. Okay. And so we get to the turnaround point and I, and I go into a porta potty and, um, uh, and it is hilly. I mean, I, I, the whole thing's hilly, but from 48 to turnaround, it's rough. I mean, mm -hmm. it, 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 it is really, really tough. And so I use the restroom. Wesley eventually passes me and you know, I was told throughout my training, you're going to have to hard hike all the big stuff. You know, if you run it, it's going to beat you up. So, dude, I was I was hard hiking all the big mountain stuff. And Wesley comes by me, and he's hauling butt up these hills, up these mountains. I mean, it, and, and it was demoralizing. I mean, so I come into the aid station, and, um, uh, I mean, I'm not kidding you. There were a ton of people i mean it was loud and um i remember coming in and um harold hayes i think it was harold again or might have been might have been bill i can't quite remember but um i asked him you know um no i didn't ask him i think i just rolled in there andrew and i said he's running all the effing hills yeah and I was pissed. I wasn't saying it like question. It was, it was like, I was pissed. I yelled it, you know, you probably, and there was a, what am I, but what am I supposed to do? He's running the Hills. I was told to power hike these. Did you think he was going to get away from you at that point when he was running those Hills? I was nervous because yeah. I was like, and I, and I even, I mean, I was so mad. I said, this can't be sustainable. I mean, the, 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 there's no way, you know? Right. And, um, so we get to that. So now I'm back at the same aid station, which I believe is like mile 62. You may have notes in front of you. Do you? Uh, the next note I have is at the 68 mile mark, you were three minutes behind. That, yes. Yeah, so 68. So that's the same aid station. Okay. So I go from 48. Now I'm back after the turnaround. That's where I yell. Um, he's running all the hills and he's three minutes ahead. Um, uh, and that is also where my pacer, Rodney Sassy, also a teammate, um, hopped in. And I want to give the other guy, Dustin Spear. He was my first pacer. He hopped in at 48. Okay. And he was vital because uh, he forced food down me. I, you know, I told my pacers before the race, both Dustin and Rodney, hey, I'm not going to want to eat. And you're going to have to be as rough with me as you've got to be to make sure I'm, I'm in taking fuel. And Dustin did a phenomenal job of that. Um, and then Rodney hops in at 68. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, that's n nutrition when you're going for 
18 hours that is that is key so that's good you had that support and next note i had here so after the 68 mile mark when you're three minutes behind you're three minutes behind but there's good news because there's some some flatter sections coming so he wouldn't be able to put as much time into you on those hills and looks like here you reclaimed the lead on that flat section and your lead was two minutes when they returned to Rocky Gap with 14 miles to go. How did that two-minute lead feel, and were there any doubts at this point? So whenever whenever Rodney hopped in with me, I told Rodney, um, hey, on the runnable sections, let's click off eight minutes or so, you know, eight, eight and a half minute miles pace. Uh, I said, you know, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll hard hike some stuff, but if we're going to win, I mean, I, I, I was so pissed off, uh, because Wesley was just dominating the course, um, that I, that I told him, Hey, hiking is going to be limited. We're going to have to run, um, and, and run fast, you know? And so, uh, I remember it was getting dark and we come through. Uh, and, and we're on a bunch of these four wheeling roads and stuff. And we're, and, and I remember seeing a headlamp and, and it was Wesley, you know, and, and I remember, and it's going to sound maybe corny right now, uh, at 10, 24 AM on a Thursday, but in the moment it gave me and him chill bumps and we went, but I remember I saw the headlamp and I looked at Rodney and I said, Hey man, I smell blood. Yeah. I said, let's, yeah. let's, let's go. Okay. And, uh, we started clicking off. Um, and, uh, coming through that aid station with 14 to go, I had a bunch of supporters there. Um, Ooh, gives me, it ma makes me almost emotional to think about it because my parents were there and, and a lot of friends came out and, um, and I remember telling all of them, Hey, th you know, this thing's over. And, um, um, you know, you, you train for something that big that, I mean, it, it's, it's emotional, you know, and you have a lot of people that are invested in it. So I felt good whenever I had that lead. I remember I grabbed two Oreos off a, off, off a table mm. and a small, and a small cup of soup and ran with it. And, um, and then it got really exciting from there, but I was, I was extremely confident. Awesome. Yeah. When, when it was getting dark and the headlamps coming out, this is where one of my favorite quotes in the article comes from. And it says, Wesley got to within 100 yards of Heim, but the bright light from his headlamp served as a warning for the eventual winner. That's pretty awesome. And I'm, I'm sure just hearing hearing that quote puts a smile on your face and can uh, you can relive some of those goosebumps that he put on you yeah. there. Another yeah, quote. so Go ahead. sorry, sorry. So uh, what I was going to say was is once I passed Wesley, I got – I, I created a decent lead because we were rolling. I mean, seriously, we were going probably, um, well, let me backtrack. I do need to say this cause I've got to, I'm, I'm sure my buddy's going to listen to this, but I, I ended up dropping Rodney. He, he couldn't hang and he's going to hate that I tell this, but, uh, he was supposed to finish out with me Okay. and we get to, I think mile 80, 82 and he starts cramping up so bad because I will say this: he was running ahead to the aid stations, getting the food for me. So he was having to okay. fartly. Yeah. But uh, 
I still give him a hard time to this day that I dropped them and, and, you know, I ran a hundred miles, but, um, but back to where you were at in that is we passed Wesley and, um, uh, I, I decided that the headlight was the disadvantage if, if you're in the lead more than it was advantage to see yeah, because the person behind you would stay motivated. So we turned our headlamps off and we ran in the pitch black dark and it was not that bad because we had a full moon that night and, um, uh, I could easily, you know, easily see where I was planting. And, um, so we actually turned our headlamps off and, um, Wesley then turned his off. And, um, and then where you get to that quote is we're on the final road and, um, I look back, his headlamp is off, but I see his body running in the moonlight. Wow. And I, I turn around and yell at him and I say, I see you buddy. And I got you. Wow. And, and then that was it. Oh man. Sure. I'm sure he's having nightmares still to this day about just seeing the <laughs> silhouette of coach Brock climb up in the distance saying, come get me boy. And there's a, also the other quote from Wesley. He's saying, Every time he saw my light, he would speed up. That had to be demoralizing for him. Um, yeah. Yeah. Putting the nail yeah. on the coffin there. You're going for, I don't know, 16 hours at this point, and you were you were closing in. Um, yeah, I, I do want to capture some of those aid stations um, that sounds like Rodney had a big, big play there. Um, and a quote from the article is, this is from – Last name Ferguson, I believe uh, she's a race director of some sort. Um, Christy Ferguson, she's who she she's a legend, and she's who yeah. wrote "Finishing Is Winning" on my on my bib. Okay, awesome. And she said, "If you come into an aid station and you don't have a freaking clue who you are, we have problems. When a runner is that messed up, people get angry. If you say they're not fit to go, if they say they're not fit to go on, but they're not in their right mind anyway." Were you that person at the aid stations? No, I, uh, man, I, I tell everybody for my first hundred miler to go as well as it did. It ne that never happens for people. Um, I never got delusional. I never, um, I didn't stop at aid stations. I mean, um, I think I stopped at the very first aid station, which there's a picture of me to fill up my bottle. After that, I had a crew. Mm -hmm. And so my crew would run alongside me and hand me my stuff. The only time I stopped would be at the weigh-ins. And I think there was three, Okay. Um, but it's quick. You step on a scale, they say yay or nay and you go. Gotcha. So 18 hours, five minutes and 34 seconds, 65,134 seconds there. Um, and you finished 68 seconds ahead of hunt. So over 65,000 seconds, you only had 68 on them. That is that is 0.1%. So if you were 0.1% off on that day, you'd be having nightmares about him. So yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty crazy. And kind of did some math that that 0.1% um, in a 15 minute 5K that'd be 0.9 seconds. For a four minute mile, it'd be 0.2 seconds, and in a 100, it'd be 0.01. So when you think those small small map margins aren't going to make a difference, they definitely are. I learned that last week at conference, coming down to literally milliseconds, inches out there in the on the jump pit and and throw marks. So 
yeah, that is just that that battle is is crazy. Yeah, and at the time, I'm not sure if this still stands, but that was the closest finish in U.S. history for a hundred miler. Yeah, um, and I, I don't know if that still stands or not, but um, and I was also, I believe, the youngest uh, hundred mile winner um, in the U.S. at that time. Um, I was 22, I think. Uh, yeah, 22. Um, yeah, it was a narrow margin, man, and, and and that's also what made that race awesome, you know, and. Um, and so then we get to the finish and I remember I, you know, finished and my mom hugged me and, um, it, it was, it was a really neat moment, but then they came over to me cause I was like, man, I'm fine. You know, um, to be honest, I wanted to go get a beer and, um, they said, you, we need to get you an IV. So I went and laid down and they made me do that and I did not want to. And, um, and so I got an IV, but I'll tell you. I think the IV made a world of difference because the next day, I mean, I was sore, mm -hmm. uh, very sore, but, um, it, it actually was not as bad as I thought it'd be. And I think the IV did play a big factor in that. Gotcha. And the article went on to say people use words, staggering combination of words when crossing the finish line that cannot be reprinted in this newspaper. Also don't want to repeat any of those words if they there were in this podcast, but what was, your first thoughts when you crossed the line anything like that just what was the emotional ride there man there's a picture of me uh crossing the line and um i was you know finishing fit, fit finishing a hundred miler is one thing but i've i really in everything i do in my life i've always big you know been big 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 been big on i can't my words right um, you know, telling your goals, stating it out there, you know, that way you've got accountability. Um, so to cross that line and know that, that I, I did everything I said I was going to do. And, um, I remember crossing the line. There's a picture of me yelling with my hands out. Yeah. Um, and I remember I bent over and, and I kissed the pavement. Um, and then my mom hugged me and, and it was, one of the coolest moments ever. I mean, you, you do a hundred miles and you complete it in, in the way that I did. Um, you feel like you can do a lot of things in life after that. You, you truly understand how tough you are. I bet. And getting short here on time, but I got some more kind of rapid fire style questions we can get into. Um, okay. What's the first thing you ate after? Because I know, I, I I say this now, but I'd say I'd be craving some Fairlife chocolate milk, um, some key lime ch almond chocolates, or maybe one of your specialty sirloin steaks. Um, but what did you have? So it was midnight, and there was nothing open really, right? And yeah. so we had to, we had to leave Lake Sylvia and head back into Little Rock, and so we went to Buffalo Wild Wings. It was me, um, and uh, my parents. And a young lady I was dating at the time, okay. um, and uh, I went there. I had, I remember, I, I had a, a barbecue wings, and I got a Blue Moon beer, and okay. um, that was kind of what I ate and 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 had to drink, and it it was it went down phenomenally. I bet, that's awesome. And Thomas Chapin told you before the race, if you finish, you will gain life lessons that are irreplaceable. And you, you said that winning that race 
taught me lessons that cannot have value placed on them. What were some lessons quickly and how did those lessons transfer into your everyday life? Well, I learned that, that there's always going to be an obstacle. You know, the hundred miler never goes perfect. There's always things you got to get through. And the number one thing that racing that hundred miler, completing it and winning it did for me was it taught me that any time something difficult comes up, um, if you really do want to conquer it, you can. You know, do you want to make the hard decision or the easy decision? I can't tell you how many times I wanted to drop out. In fact, the most tempting time I had to drop was at about mile 95 when I'm running by myself at that point and there was one last aid station to go. And uh, the the amount of fatigue and pain you're in towards the end of those things is, um, it's just hard to describe it uh, in my opinion. And so, you know, but I made the hard decision and, and that race taught me there's there, you know, you can always get through it, but yeah. you got to want to. Yep. And I don't think I would have learned that quite as well. Um, had I not done the hundred miler. That's awesome. And I think to wrap up here, um, was something you said yesterday, we, we had a little meeting after the, uh, indoor or uh, indoor championships. And you said winning a championship won't beat people and it can do one of two things. It can give you the satisfaction and you feel satisfied and you don't want to continue to work or it can light the next fire. So how was that after winning that race? You know, I never, I never, um, ran another ultra marathon after that. And, uh, so the fire it lit for me was not to compete more uh, doing those things. What it, what it did for me was it taught me that I can be great at something if I set my mind to it. And that's where coaching's at for me now. And I truly do believe that, um, uh, I believe in myself. I believe I can be a great coach. I believe that I am a great coach and, um, I've got the fire to pursue it. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. You've had those trials and tribulations as a runner and you can now take the lessons learned from those and uh, apply those as coach so well we're gonna wrap it there and thanks again for taking the time to share your experience on that 100 mile race